Welcome to Sound Leadership with DJ, the podcast that dives deep into the world of leadership. If you're passionate about learning from the brightest minds in the field, you're in the right place. In each episode, we embark on an inspiring journey alongside successful leaders, unraveling the secrets behind their accomplishments from their early beginnings to their current roles. We explore the unique paths they've traveled to reach their present status. We'll dive into their biggest challenges and pivotal lessons and gain invaluable tips from inspiring leaders. Today, guys, today on our season finale of, of, of season one of Sound Leadership with DJ, I am thrilled to introduce Dr. Danielle McCammy, a trailblazer with nearly two years or with nearly two decades, I apologize, of nursing experience and over a decade as a acute care nurse practitioner. Dr. McCammy's journey is inspiring, having traveled through diverse specialties from perianesthesia to palliative and critical care. Dr. McCammy serves as the Associate Dean for Clinical Practice and Relationships and an Associate Professor at the prestigious John Hopkins School of Nursing while continuing to practice in surgical critical care. But that's just the tip of the iceberg for, for Dr. McCammy. See, she holds several certifications, including her DEI in the Workplace Certificate from University of South Florida and a nonprofit Management Executive Certification from Georgetown University. Dr. McCammy's accolades go beyond her educational pursuits. See, Dr. McCammy was just recently inducted as a fellow in the American College of Chess Physicians. See, her role as a DNP is, 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 is fascinating. And she's here to share her enlightening journey on becoming a DNP, what a DNP means, and the leadership role of a DNP. But what truly sets Dr. McCammy apart is her visionary leadership style. See, when she comes on screen, you're going to see it. She is the founder, the CEO, and the president of DMPs of Color, a 501c3 nonprofit, nationally recognized nonprofit that is dedicated to building a community for nurses of color through networking, mentorship, and advocacy. DMPs of Color's goal is to increase diversity in the doctoral studies, clinical practice, and in leadership. Additionally, she has co-created and chairs the Doctoral Nurse Collaborative, a group that unites DMPs and PhD-prepared nurses through her current healthcare system. See, throughout her remarkable career, she has consistently mentored students in undergraduate and graduate studies and advised DMP students' projects. She has also precepted students in a clinical practice setting. Her expertise in diversity, equity, and inclusion in palliative care has made her a sought-after national speaker. Dr. McCammy is a true thought leader, featured in interviews and podcasts, sharing her insights on creating communities that foster innovation, collaboration, transformational care, and advancing the nursing practice. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. McCammy on this podcast. But before I bring her out, I got to tell you something. This is, once again, the final episode of season one of Sound Leadership with DJ. We are excited to have you join us for this exciting episode. And we want you to stay connected with us. And you can do so by liking our social media pages. You can like us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Sound Leadership with DJ, where we share updated information on episodes such as this one's and behind the scenes glimpses on episodes just like this one we also want you to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms that includes apple music alexa iheart and so much more simply search sound leadership with dj once you're there hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode 
Now it's time for you to buckle up and be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and empowered to become your best self. Let's dive into this episode together. Welcome, Dr. McCammon. How are you doing today? I'm doing Hey, I am fabulous. You are here. You are fresh off the conference of DPs of color. So I I don't know if I'm the first one after, but I'm a claimant. Yes. (laughs) I'm a claimant. So, you know, as as I tell people, right, I I did that introduction, but it holds no candle to who you are. I I know you humbly just placed doctor in front of your name, but there are so (laughs) many accolades after your name. So can you tell us who Dr. McCammy is? Yes, Dr. McKamey, I always say my claim to fame is I build communities that create opportunities. And with my work with DMPs of Color, I'm doing such that. Um, Beyond that, I'm also an acute care nurse practitioner. I still practice in surgical critical care. And um, I love the thrill and the chills and the dynamic nature of critical care. I can't quite give that up. And um, I'm also serving as... um, um, new title now, Assistant Dean for Strategic Partnerships to uh, leverage some of my opportunities to connect with so many different people to do some great work. Wow. So, so you didn't say new title. So what was your previous title and, and what is this new role that you're embarking upon? So my previous title was Assistant Dean for Clinical Practice and Relationships. And so um, ended up um, switching over to focusing on strategic partnerships because of my vast network and then ability to um, connect with people and get them to uh, follow a mission and get some real work done. So I'm really excited to be in this space to really leverage my my skills and my gifts. Wow. And and, and your gifts are are, are definitely oozing out, right? As I've watched you on LinkedIn, I've watched you networking. I've watched people just praise you on LinkedIn. And and I've done some research myself. So, you know, I I know you graduated from some prestigious universities. Mm -hmm. You You weren't always a DNP. So talk to us about that journey to becoming a DNP. Yeah, so the pursuit of my DNP was, um, I was not a believer in the DMP degree. I had been in my career as a master prepared acute care nurse practitioner and totally enjoying my practice, operating at the top of my scope. And I felt like the DMP just didn't make sense. I was in that uh, scope of folks that felt like going back to school to get into debt, to not make any additional money just doesn't make sense. And so um, I ended up connecting with a mentor on a night shift on, it was a horrible night shift in the ICU. (laughs) And he's like, you need to go back and get your DMP. And so I thought about it and then ended up getting a scholarship. And I said, well, who am I to deny this school to pay for me to go back to get my DMP? So I went. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Because I think, you know, to your point, there's so many nurses out there. There are so many master prepared nurses, bachelor prepared nurses out there that's that, you know, don't believe in going back to the next level because sometimes there's not a pay increase. I mean, we can look at that from associates to a bachelor's degree level or bachelor's to a master's degree level. Unless you have a certificate behind your name, such as F&P or clinical nurse specialist, Mm -hmm. sometimes there's not um, financial gain attached to it. But what you stated is, you know, uh, you went back, somebody, you know, pay for you to go back. But besides the financial gain, what have you, you've learned as you become a DMP, right? What was that main difference from becoming an MSN who's operating at the top of scope, who's mm-hmm. a fellow, who's, you know, is mm-hmm. acute care uh, nurse practitioner? What have you learned and gained as a DMP? 
The way the structure of nursing is having your, your terminal degree allows you access to different networks and different levels within the nursing profession. And so it seemed like once I crossed that threshold of the graduation day and got my DMP degree, my career grew exponentially, my network grew exponentially, and the opportunities to speak and take advantage of different opportunities to advance in a different way. One case in point, me being an assistant dean at Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Like I think that yes. I would never have had that opportunity without having my DMP. Wow, you know, I, I, I think that's amazing. You, you talk about having opportunities. I, I think that's the key thing, right? As we continue to advance ourselves, we we, we will gain those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those opportunities are, are yet to be unseen, such as the road you just transitioned into. You yes. may not have had a shot for that road had mm-hmm. you not had your DMP. So mm-hmm. kudos to you. I think that that, that is amazing. As, as we talk about leadership and, mm-hmm. and, and, and dive into, you know, the, the point of the podcast, leadership. What does leadership mean to you? What is an effective leader? For me, leadership is one that is strictly to be of service. I have a skill to inspire and motivate people to do to do and be their best. And once they see that potential and grasp hold of it, me as the leader is to be of service to help build them up to continue to pursue their mission, their passion, and ultimately be the next leader. Wow. And and how did you find out that you had that 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 skill, right? Because I imagine that wasn't something that you just rolled out of bed and said, you know what, I'm gonna be great today. I'm gonna inspire and motivate others. So what was your leadership journey like? You know, the leadership pieces, I would say come in pieces because as you evolve as a person and have a understanding of your your own personal values, your own personal morals, your own personal mission, those leadership pieces begin to manifest and coalesce into the leader. And so for me, I've always had leadership qualities in taking charge of circumstances, or I've always had the ability to see potential in people and inspire them to um, want to do work. And so it just kind of happened upon me and people gave it a term like you're a leader. And so internalizing that and and seeing what your leader is and how I've evolved in my own leadership and its impact has definitely come with time, experience and lots of mentorship. Yeah, I I think, you you know, you you hit a lot of things, you know, you you talked about experience, you talked about mentorship, but I want to go back to something that you said early on, right? You believe leadership is servant leadership, but Mm -hmm. You know, to the point, right, we have certain buzzwords that are really hot right now. And DEI is is one. We'll talk about that. That's really hot right now. Servant leadership is is hot right now. But what actually is servant leadership? You mentioned about supporting others and and empowering them. But, you know, when you dive deep, deep into it, what is servant leadership and and, and how do one recognize servant leadership? Because I think that, you know, we've all worked in leadership. There's some leaders who say I'm a servant leader, but it's about me, right? I'm going <laughs> to serve you as long as my needs are met, right? Yes. So what is servant leadership? Servant leadership, I think that it's definitely a, an acquired skill, essentially, because you have to be resolute in your own self 
your own mission and be confident to be able to collaborate, share power, and also empower others. So that means sometimes you have to, there's opportunities for you to step up, but then there's opportunities for you to step back and allow others to um, be of service. And so for me, I'm always telling my team, I have the title, I have the position, but I'm so mission focused that I understand that it takes all of us to contribute our own expertise and how I can be of service so that you can be equipped and feel comfortable and confident to do your best work so you can fulfill your pieces of the ultimate mission that we're all agreeing to pursue. I think it's key and something that you mentioned is the mission, right? You know, as a, as a leader, we, we should have a, a strong understanding, understanding of our mission, our, our, yes. our, our goals, right? Because if we're, if we're operating without a mission statement, without goals, we're mm-hmm. kind of just festering in the wind. Yep. We're kind of just out there. So, you know, how do you empower people to, you know, uh, stand up for what they believe in and also, you know, challenge you at the right time to say, hey, we're, we're, we're running into a brick wall, but still remain the leader. Because I think that's a skill set that, that's, that's um, very important for leadership, right? We have to empower our team to speak up when the time is right. So how do you do that? Oh, man, I... Like I said, I have I have this gift of discernment. <laughs> I also have um, this gift of intuition, and then I have this gift of rapidly developing trust and rapport with people. And so, for me, my teams always praise me because I allow them to take up the space to be and to do, and I also show gratitude and appreciation for the value that they contribute. So it's really centering people's humanness and their human experience and how that shows up in pushing forward in the mission in whatever circumstance we're in. So that's just my viewpoint and kind of how I operate is centering the person, centering their mission and finding ways that aligns with the ultimate mission that we're all in agreement with in whatever circumstance that we're together. Wow. I, I think that's that's amazing. And and once again, for the for the viewers that are just joining us, we're we're diving deep into leadership with Dr. McCammy. And what she shared with us is her views on on servant leadership and how it impacts, you know, the team, how she's empowers the team. And and I think we both agree on this, you know, as a leader, we should be serving our team. We should be empowering our team. But, you know, as, as we talk about some of the successes in, in leadership and, and, and we will get to your successes in leadership, mm-hmm. we can't talk about it without some of the fails and some of the things we've learned from our mistakes in the leadership. So do you have mm-hmm. some time that that, you know, maybe you you've implemented a strategic decision or you, you did something and you was like, that wasn't my best self as a leader. And what did you learn from that? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 always going to be failures, <laughs> and um, but those are the greatest lessons. That's when you get the opportunity to actually pause and reflect and get feedback, and and hopefully it didn't end in a detrimental um, outcome or harm to others. And so when I think about my different hats that I wear, you know, as a critical care nurse practitioner, <laughs> you got to be spot on with your decision making. Wow. Wow. Um, but as a dean. You know, there's some time to kind of think through things, but if there is some failures, you can course correct without any uh, damages. <laughs> you know, you wear many hats, right? And and I think that's what's amazing. Like you said, you know, how you how you 
act as a leader, as a critical care nurse practitioner is different than how you act as a leader, as an educator. And I think it's important to note that, you know, your leadership fluctuate, right? And how you yeah. lead fluctuate and, and how you interact with others fluctuate. And I, I, I think, you know, what you're hitting around to is, um, uh, what's that buzzword? Uh, intelligence, Emotional knowing. Intelligence. Yes. So talk to us about that as a leader. What role does emotional intelligence have in leadership? Oh my gosh. <laughs> in order to be an impactful and effective leader, your emotional intelligence has to be on point. And I think that for me being a Black woman, society has groomed, I'll say for me, to have an excellent emotional intelligence because we have been in a lot of scenarios where you have to know how to read the room and assess who's who and who's trustworthy and who's, you know, what role do they play in the ultimate plan or picture that you're viewing. And so having a high emotional intelligence, I feel like is a huge part of my keys to success and being an effective leader is having an understanding of people, circumstances, how to react, how to interact and how to respond. I think that's amazing. And, and you, you know, you, you talked about emotional intelligence is reading the rooms and things, but for, for some, that may be a new term for them. So, um, you know, when we talk about emotional intelligence, you, you mentioned it's being able to read the room, being able to learn how to respond as a leader. How do you utilize emotional intelligence to, you know, motivate, inspire your team? How, how do you, you know, integrate that? Um, so the emotional intelligence and just understanding people where they are, um, how they show up, what are some of the lived experience that bring that they bring to the workplace or to the project or to the unit and utilizing those pieces as an opportunity to connect and an opportunity to motivate and an opportunity to bring them into the fold. And so for me, I'm always trying to bring people in, bring people in. There's always room at this table. Bring a seat. We got plenty of seats. That is that that is inspiration, though. There's always room at the table because, you know, for for many, they feel like there's not a seat at the table. Yes. They feel like they can't make a difference. They feel like they can't advocate on, on behalf of themselves, behalf mm -hmm. of the patients, behalf of of anything. Right. So what does it mean to bring a seat at the table and how are you pushing the envelope so more people can come to the table? <laughs> DMPs of color is literally pushing the envelope to bring more people um, at the table. And we're leveraging this opportunity to create an inclusive space within nursing, particularly in doctoral nursing practice. And how we're doing that is we're highlighting their accolades, we're highlighting their scholarship, we're validating their worth, we're bringing opportunities for them to learn more, to deepen their scholarship. And so I always say there's always room at the table because there's so much work that needs to be done that requires all hands on deck. So I need you to have a seat at this table so you can eat, get the understanding of the mission and go out and get this work done. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when you say there's a seat at the table, do I have to be a leader to come to your table and eat? I feel like, see, that's the thing. I want to just spend some time about the term leader because I feel like yes. we've socialized it so much that it makes it exclusionary. Yes. Everyone has the ability to be a leader that fits in the context of their lived experience, their skills, 
and also the place and space that they occupy. People are always given opportunity to step up or contribute. And so for me, leadership is any way that you can leverage your experiences, your talents, your gifts to contribute to the greater whole, the greater good, you're, you're, you're a leader. You know, there's formal titles, yes, absolutely. But I feel like people, if if we if we shared the understanding that leadership is is accessible to everyone and everyone has these skills and capabilities because of their lived experience and their ability to contribute to the greater mission, the greater whole, we're we're all leaders. It's just in different contexts and different circumstances. I think that's a, a good call out, you know, and what's interesting is when I when I talk to people and they say, well, I'm not a leader. I can't be a leader. And I say, look, everybody's a leader. At some point in life, we all have had to lead. If you're yeah. if you're a mom, dad, you've led yeah. the family, right? Yes. You're a school bus driver. You drove the kids to school and you got them there safely. Exactly. You led them there. So when we think about leadership, I think to your point, it's not always this big prestigious title. Yeah. It's influencing people to, to yes. get the job done effectively, yeah. efficiently and safely. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, you know, I, I, I thank you for, for calling that out. And, and you talk about DMPs of color and you talk about mm. your journey as a, as, as going into a DMP. I must ask why DMP over PhD and what are the differences? This is like the million dollar question. Everyone always asks this. And of course I'm biased to the DMP, but <laughs> when the DMP was first developed, it was the vision was for it to be the entry level into advanced practice, specifically for nurse practitioners. And over the years, it's evolved to include all nursing professionals. So RNs, masters prepared, and not just nurse practitioners. So now um, it is a clinical practice doctorate where you are given education, experience, and skills to deepen your scholarly knowledge in nursing practice. And then there's the PhD, which is historically the nursing scientist terminal degree, where uh, nurses that pursue PhD are generating new knowledge, new science that's being applied into nursing practice. And so the idea is that the PhDs generate the new knowledge, the DMP prepared nurses translate it into the evidence. But the way that it's evolving and the way that I want mm -hmm. it to continue to evolve, being the leader of a DMP facing organization, is that we make DMP prepared nurses um, also have access to generating new nursing science because our science is called translational science where we're translating the evidence into practice and what we're finding is historically and traditionally science that's developed by phds takes upward 17 years plus to get into clinical practice can you imagine 17 year old <laughs> evidence being practiced on you today wow that 17 year old evidence is probably baked in racism and antiquated yeah. that doesn't even incorporate the technologies that we have of today. Wow. So this is why I'm always on my soapbox of equipping DMP prepared nurses to do more research oriented yeah. um, initiatives because we're in practice a lot of times. So we understand the current climate of practice yes. and the evidence available and we see the gaps that we yes. can put together things to close those gaps. You know, what's interesting is, is exactly what, what you stated, right? 17 years to get to practice. And the way technology is rolling, we don't have 17 years. My the iPhone 15 is old. They talk about the 16 already. Okay. <laughs> it just came out last week. So, 
I can't imagine oh, you yes. know, starting to implement some nursing interventions that is 17 years old. Yes. And to your point, you know, baked in in, in, in racism and, and whatever else it, it was cooked with. <laughs> yes. you know, so if we talk about research and mm -hmm. and, and getting more uh, doctor prepared nurses of, of color into the field, how can we do that? How do we motivate, inspire others to get into the field? I think your organization, DMPs of Color, it's, it's really leading a pathway, other organizations as well. But, you know, I always tell people, and, I, and, I, and I'll let you share your views on, I always tell people, you know, in nursing, growing up, I don't really remember seeing a lot of people that look like me. Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't see males. That oh, was yeah. just a, uh, <laughs> that's just a, you know, it's 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 anomaly to see them. And even now, as I've entered into the field of nursing, you know, males are becoming more and more frequent, but yes. it's still a rarity. And and I'll share this. This is the running joke. That, you know, any hospital I'm working at or any facility I'm at, they always think I'm the other one. They never see us at the same time, so they think we're the same. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, how do we get more people of color into the healthcare fields, healthcare organizations? You know, not just nursing, but all mm -hmm. of all things. Right? We need representation. Absolutely. Every level, every granular level. How can we do that? Yeah, so there's a lot of structures within nursing that need to be dismantled. And um, I guess the easiest, I don't want to say the easiest way, but the a strategy to entertain is really supporting organizations that are doing the work to support nurses of color success in nursing, like DMPs of color, like Diversity CRNA, like National Black Nurses Association, because we're offering the 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 keys to success in nursing we're offering mentorship opportunities we're offering network and we're offering advocacy opportunities and and for me these are the key ingredients for nurses success and for them to also be sustained throughout the nursing profession because nursing is hard the climate of nursing is extremely difficult there's so many different things that post covid that unearthed that had been already hovering at the surface level and now everything is just out and so being a nurse right now is tough so you need mentors you need a network and you need advocacy to be successful so for me because our organizations are creating programming and initiatives that understand the lived experience and understand how that lived experience shows up in how we practice and how it shows up and how we learn and how it shows up how we teach and take in information we're able to support those individuals to their success and sometimes going to predominantly white institutions they don't have that understanding of these community communities of color to support their success without them having a traumatic experience if i'm being honest so yeah you know what <laughs> I, I love and, and and i love the honesty you know you you, you talk about and, and i'll go back a little earlier you talk about you know interventions that take 17 years to get here and and now we're here where we have your organization yeah. um that's supporting people of color you know, so when we talk about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you have a, a certificate in that, and you're, mm -hmm. you're sought after to speak on that. What role uh, or what should we know about DEI in healthcare? How does that impact me? How does that impact the viewer listening? How does DEI um, impact you know the change of healthcare, the change of culture, the change of uh, transformational healthcare? Yeah, so DEI is under a lot of fire right now, <laughs> but no matter how much fire it's under, it still doesn't change the literature that supports that when you have diverse providers taking care of 
anyone that it increases patient care outcomes. It decreases patient morbidity and mortality. Communities of color are more likely to follow through with their patient care treatments and have more trust with their providers if they have ones that look like them. I think that's that's amazing. And, and Dr. Grant, you know, the past president of the ANA, yes. China, you know, echoed that same thing on yeah. this podcast when, when we talked about DE&I. How, mm. how did you get into it, right? You know, once again, as I always tell people, you didn't just roll out of bed and say, you know what, I think I want to be a champion for DE&I. So did you have a, a, a story or something that happened to you that was like, look, we need to push this needle. What, what made you really, you know, launch <laughs> You know, what made you get into it and then subsequently, right, launch DMPs of Color, which is really, you know, a, a space in that avenue. How, what made you do that? I mean, I think just being a Black woman in a lot of white spaces because of being highly educated and in a white profession, you're kind of charged with it, whether you want to be charged with it or not. Yes. You become the, essentially the cultural ambassador or people look to you because you're the only one in the room like, well, what's up with them black folks riding in Ferguson? You know, so what's up with this black patient that I have? And they keep saying this one term that I don't understand. And why is this black woman patting her braids like she lost her mind? I'm like, oh Lord. <laughs> you know, you know what's interesting, right? And is I saw it early on as as an LPN. I didn't know the term DENI, but I remember going out with my trainer, and I was an LPN, and and this was a this was a a nurse who had years of experience, and I remember going out, and she was talking to this patient about uh, diabetes, and mm. he didn't understand it. He wasn't getting it, but yes. I interjected and said, "Has anybody talked to you about the sugars?" There you go. Oh, a light went off in his head. Yeah, I See? know about the sugars. I check it every day. See. Case of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Being able to to speak to a patient on their level and, yeah. and provide them the education that, you know, works for them. You could have said diabetes to you blue in the face. You know, I've dealt with patients who, you know, they 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 don't call it hypertension or high blood pressure. Yeah. You know, they have other code names for it. You know, oh, I can't eat salt. The doctor keeps saying I can't eat salt. <laughs> I got I, I got to use this product called Mrs. Dash. That's what I got. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't eat the salt, you know. So, you know, I think that, you know, DE&I plays a position and, you know, your organization is really trying to move that forward. Yeah. How does DE&I integrate into our, our nursing schools to, to help, you know, expand that? How, how do, what, what role does DE&I play in that? Well, I know at my particular institution, we're really taking a deep dive and looking at faculty's preparedness. Yes. with being able to understand the terms beyond just spewing health equity and saying diversity, equity, inclusion, but actually talking about white supremacy and power and privilege. And so really doing the work to unpack a lot of things so that people can actually see it. Because when you come from a place of privilege, you don't see the perspectives or the experiences of those that have been historically racialized, disenfranchised and oppressed. So when um, we're able to get education with the nursing faculty, they're able to teach effectively. And to be honest, the students are demanding that from the faculty. They don't want this yeah. implicit bias and yes. you know all these frou-frou terms. And, and they want to talk about power, privilege, white supremacy, colonialism, you know, yes. uh, and all of this. So it's really challenging us as faculty to meet them where they are because they're pushing it because 
they want to act, they want to be equipped, they want to be educated, and they want to feel comfortable to be able to, to be allies or to be able to advocate for communities of color. You know, I, I think it's amazing. And, and you, you ended it with advocated communities of color. So I'm going to segue into that. Where is healthcare going? We Every time I turn around, and, and I live in Hawaii, so for me to catch something on the news, it must be global. I see them striking outside. I see us fighting for better wages. I see yes. us fighting for better um, opportunities. So where is healthcare going? Where's the field of nursing going? And how can DNP prepared nurses help move that needle forward? I feel like in healthcare, the pandemic really put us at a crossroads. It helped it helped amplify the problems that we have in society and particularly for my lens healthcare. And it's allowing us to deal with our stuff from racism to unfair wages, unfair ratios. And I really feel like ultimately this is kind of like a clearing so that we can really get the issues out on the forefront and start dealing with them and start putting forth some actionable, reasonable steps to start solving some of these problems and closing some of these gaps. Where DMP prepared nurses come in, I love being DMP prepared because we have this duality about us that we're still practicing. A lot of us are still practicing clinicians, so we have an understanding of the current climate of clinical practice. And because of our education has deepened our knowledge around systems, policies, and procedures and how to navigate those spaces so that you can get things done. And because you have your doctor degree, it puts you at the table where people are making the decisions so you can implement practice and policy all in real time at one time. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> it, it sets you at the table to move the needle forward. And you know, let's 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 talk about it, right? If we're not at the table, we're on the table. And that's okay. how we got to striking because we were on the table. And okay. you know, I think that what the pandemic kind of highlighted is, you know, organizations can do more. It's it's a lot Absolutely. more than just a piece of party. That's, you know, it is not adding bacon to my pizza and saying, now nah, nah, I've heard you. <laughs> it's it's really being there. And it, and it takes us as leaders and, and and to to come to the table and say, no, this is what we want. You know, mm -hmm. as, as I tell people, right, we're not at the table. Then we got a lot of people in suits making the decisions who yes. don't understand clinical excellence, clinical exactly. operations, the work that we need. They're trying to figure mm -hmm. out how we can take that bladder scanner, that vein finder. You don't need that extra vent because we're renting that. Right. They're trying to say, you don't need You haven't used it in a, in a week. There's been no patients on a vent. <laughs> so right. We should send that back. So, you know. <laughs> You 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 have to have a seat at the table, and we and we go back to your organization, DMPs mm -hmm. of Color, and you've yeah. talked about mentorship. You've mm -hmm. talked about you know the need for an organization like this. Uh, tell us more about DMPs of Color because I, I think as I started uh, when I, when we first uh, started this podcast, you're fresh off a national convention where you had hundreds of Yo. people come and support your dream. If nobody's telling you, I'm telling you, you are amazing. But talk Thank to you. us about it. Yeah, the conference was absolutely amazing. And yes, we just opened up for membership, so please sign up. But the conference was called, uh, we have a theme, it was called Calling All Game Changers and Trailblazers. And that was um, a, a call and response piece to 
really have those that are doing transformative progressive change work in nursing to come to our conference. And we had a whole host of change makers, game changers and trailblazers there. And we had nearly 300 folks come from coast to coast and even Canada, I just learned to attend our conference. And one of the special pieces, there are a couple of special pieces around the conference that we centered on. So we are intentional about the space that we occupy. So we decided to have the conference be at the National Museum of the American Indian. Last year, it was at the Maryland Museum of African and African American History in Maryland. And so we like the museum space because the spirit of the ancestors and the artifacts and the history um, help permeate the the atmosphere and also the attendees and then they get an opportunity to, to to view a museum and then we also had a mindfulness practitioner that allowed us to center ourselves and to be present in the moment at the conference and then the practitioner met with each speaker prior to them speaking to help them be grounded and help them be present in the moment which really created this atmosphere of connection which was unreal and so having that atmosphere of connection, just everyone was just primed to receive and also primed to just share and be innovative and creative. And it just created this connection that was just like no other conference. And so a lot of the topics we spoke on were clinical practice, policy things, leadership stuff, academia and research. We also featured a history panel that was sponsored by Nurses You Should Know. And we had an exclusive interview with Virginia Allen, who is the last Black Angel nurse. And the Black Angels, for those that don't know, were nurses that filled in the gap when white nurses left Staten Island at the peak of the TB pandemic because they did not want to care for TB patients. So they recruited hundreds of Black nurses from the South to come to Staten Island to take care of these individuals in these um, sanatoriums, which are just hospitals that were in remote areas to push through the TB pandemic. And the cure was actually found in Seaview Hospital where these black nurses helped contribute to finding the cure. So she's 92 years old. She is absolutely amazing. And we had such an amazing interview with her to share her experience. And she also charged us with um, some actions to get done that we need to grasp hold of our power to be more and to do more and to continue the legacy that she built upon to really fill in those gaps when there's an opportunity to meet those challenges. Wow. <laughs> You've packed so much in, in, <laughs> in that statement. It is amazing. And people need to know about your organization. So, you know, I've flashed it on the screen multiple times, but how can they reach your organization? And once they get to your organization page, what should they be doing? Yeah. So first and foremost, you can go to dmpsofcolor.org, which is our website. You can even just Google search us. We're on all major social media platforms, even Pinterest. <laughs> but the first thing you need to do is hit that membership tab because we are now open for membership and we've got membership uh, levels for all people. You don't have to be a DMP to sit with me is what we always say. And you don't have to be a person of color to also join DMPs of color. But for those that join that don't necessarily fit quote unquote in those categories, 
there's an understanding that has to be known that the mission and the vision and the goals will always be centered around the experiences and the needs for nurses of color that have their DNP. So if you can get behind that or align with that, you're more than welcome to join us in this space and support us. We're always happy to have those that um, want to help advance our mission. So go to our website, hit us up on social media, tag us, tweet us. Well, I guess it's X us. Yeah. And, and on LinkedIn <laughs> as well. And then how can they follow you? How can they get in contact with you? Yes, I'm on all major social media platforms as well at Dr. McKamey. So hit me up. Listen, you see it. You see it in full effect. You know, this is a, a, a pleasure to speak with you, a pleasure to Likewise. pick your brain on all things leadership. As I've stated, I have been following you um, for a while. Next year at the convention, I promise I will be there. I am a DNP student, um, and yeah. I need to be in there with excellence. I need to surround myself with excellence. And yeah. you know, to your point, right? You know, you get to connect with these people. That's the biggest thing. Anything in life, right? Life is about networking. It's about yes. who you know. It's about connecting. Okay. And, you know, being in that room with the, with the people of greatness. As I looked at the social media post that came out, I'm like, I missed that. I yep. miss that person, you know. Yep. So now what I'm going to challenge you on is at some point, I know you're on your third year, but by year six, we got to have a convention in Hawaii, right? Oh, say less. <laughs> year six, done. I'll help plan that. Right? Okay, say less. We got this recorded, right? We're recording this thing, right? <laughs> we have to have something in Honolulu, Hawaii, or Big Island, or my whatever the case is. I think you you, you said you had 300-some people. People looking for a reason to come to Hawaii. Give them a reason. Right. 2026, you heard it first. <laughs> Honolulu, Hawaii. We, oh, we, listen, it's listen, listen, game changer. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor, I appreciate you for coming on this podcast. I appreciate you for taking time out of your day. Um, you know, as, as we uh, get ready to close season one of Sound Leadership, we are in the Thanksgiving week. We are in the Thanksgiving yes. time. Is there anything that you're thankful for? Yes. Oh, my gosh. So much. I'm, but just to keep it concise, I'm just thankful for the community that supports me, that elevates me, that amplifies me, and also for the community that also hates on me. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it. Just you let me know if you want me to edit that one out. <laughs> A lot of the realness. You know, yes. because we use our haters as motivators, right? Absolutely. And 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 I tell people that all the time. You you you, <laughs> it's in a song. You're not popping if you don't have any haters. So hey. you know, you will always have people who dislike you. You yes. have to use them as motivators. You have to use them to continue to propel yourself. For the yes. people who know, right? And 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 I'll say this as we get ready to close this out. I graduated high school in 2007 with a one GPA. I remember mm. my eighth grade teacher. I can't say her name. I'm not trying to get sued, but I went to Longfellow Middle School in Detroit, Michigan, eighth grade math teacher. Um, she told me by the time I was 18, I'd be dead or in someone's penitentiary. And I'll tell Good you why she said that. I didn't do my homework. I was a bad eighth grade student. I was I was that. But she said, you need to write 100 times. You know, I would not talk in class. So what Demetrius did, I was being innovative. I was an engineer at that age. I take four pencils together and wrote it. And she said, no, see, that's criminal behavior. You're going to be dead in somebody's jail. Instead of saying you being an engineer. <laughs> wow. Just, see? She, she said I would be dead in, 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 in somebody's penitentiary jail. So any chance I get, I shout that out because I could have took that and believed it. 
that was an educator, somebody who had power over me, somebody who was Mm -hmm. supposed to be motivating and inspiring me. And instead, I took that and I use it every time. I tell people all the time, eighth grade, Longfellow Middle School, (laughs) I graduate in 07, you do the math. Um, So I use that as motivation as the guest. They should be using any haters as motivators, as motivation. If somebody told you you can't do it, you do it. You know, uh, when I was told I couldn't get into RN school, I went to LPN school. And then apparently they let you walk right into RN school if you're an LPN. I don't know how that works, but they let you do it. So (laughs) thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I appreciate you for uh, joining us here on Sound Leadership. And I and I appreciate the guests for watching this explosive episode of Sound, Leadership with, <laughs> of Sound Leadership with DJ. You know, usually I take the guests off the screen as I do the outro. I'm going to leave you on because I'm loving it. So thank you for joining us here on Sound Leadership thank with you. DJ. We hope you gain valuable insights and inspiration from our conversation with Dr. McCammy. If you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to like and follow our social media pages for more great content. You can follow us on YouTube and LinkedIn at Sound Leadership with DJ. Also, don't forget to tune into our podcast. Don't forget to tune into this podcast on your favorite platform. That includes Apple Music, Alexa, iHeart, and so much more. Simply search Sound Leadership with DJ and hit that like and subscribe button. This is the final episode, and I, I, I will be remiss without doing it again. I put the QR code up there, visit DMPs of Color, follow the doc, and remember, leadership is a journey, not a destination. Keep striving to learn and grow and never give up on your goals. We wish you all the best on your leadership journey, and we look forward to having you join us again soon for more insightful discussions on sound leadership with DJ. I see you next season.